Palin came after, walking in the glow of the staff of Magius, which he used to light their way. It may have been his overwrought imagination, but it seemed to him that the grasping skeletal hands drew back whenever the bones were illuminated in the staff's light. The journey seemed endless. Fear lengthened seconds to hours, hours to years. The whispering darkness, the breath-snatching stench, the cold that made the bones ache and the fingertips numb, began to work on both warrior and mage. The ground grew wetter. Walking became increasingly difficult. Steel in his heavy boots, weighted down by his armor, sank up to his ankles in the foul, clinging muck. Each time he moved it took a greater effort to pull his feet free, one after the other. Each step became a battle with the squelching ground, and he was soon breathing hard from the labor. He grew increasingly exhausted, his legs burned from the exertion. He tried to find firmer footing, watched where he put each step, but it made no difference. With every step he sank a little deeper, each time it was harder to free himself, weary, far more weary than he should have been, almost sobbing for breath, he came to a halt, looked back at his footprints. They were filling up with blood. Palin had no difficulty walking. He trod lightly on the ground, left no mark of his passing. He could walk. But he couldn't breathe. The air beneath the trees seemed liquid, flowed into his nose and mouth like dark, oily water. He choked and swallowed and choked again, his lungs burned. He inhaled deeply, only to gag and retch as if he'd drunk swamp water. Tiny pinpricks of light sparkled on the fringes of his vision. He was slowly suffocating, starting to lose consciousness. Gasping for breath, he was forced to a halt beside steel. The dead were waiting for them. Fleshless hands, nothing but tendon and bone, reached up out of the black loam and grasped hold of steel around the shins. Bone-brittle voices gibbered and laughed. The hands pulled with inhuman strength, trying to drag the knight down to join them in unquiet death. Drawing his sword with a shout, he slashed at the hands with the shining blade. More hands clutched the knight's feet, wrapped around his ankles. His blade severed the hands from the skeletal wrists. One hand would fall limp, only to be replaced by another, and by another after that. He was losing the battle, was being dragged inexorably under. Already he had sunk into the quagmire, up to his knees. Palin plunged forward to help, the words of his magic on his lips. He struggled to find the breath to say them aloud, but he could not speak. What air he had he was forced to use to stave off suffocation. Desperate, he struck at the hands with the butt-end of the staff. Bone shattered, tendons snapped. Elated, he continued the attack, found his breath coming easier. Steel, too, fought with renewed hope. He could move his legs. Take hold! Palin cried and held out the staff. Steel reached for it. Cold, bone fingers dug into the back of Palin's neck. Hot, stinging pain shot through his body. Spasms twisted his limbs. The staff of Magius fell to the ground. The bright light of its crystal went out. Darkness. Thick. 
and palpable, rushed in on them, as if it had been lying in ambush, awaiting its chance. Palin tore frantically at the hands, panic rising, when suddenly he knew what to do. The memory of his brother's training for hand-to-hand -hand combat came to him with desperate clarity. He saw Tannen grasp Sturm around the throat from behind, saw Sturm plant his feet solidly and shove backward. He knocked Tannen flat on his back on the ground, breaking his grip. Palin planted his feet as best he could in the muck, with all his strength, lunged directly backward. He fell through the darkness, no solid body behind him to break his fall. He landed heavily on the ground, driving what breath remained from his body. But the hands had let loose their grip around his throat. He lay panting for breath, knowing he must move but too shaken to attempt it yet. Looking up, he thought he saw a star shining through the darkness, and he marveled at how this could possibly be until he realized that what he saw was the light of the star jewel shining from around Steele's neck. Hurry, Majer! Steele commanded, offering to help Palin stand. They've gone. For the moment. Palin ignored the outstretched hand. He lurched to his knees, began scrabbling through the rotted leaves, the darkness whispered around him. What's the matter? Are you hurt? Steele asked. My staff. Where is it? I can't find it. I can't see. Palin ran his hands through the wet leaves. Hurry, mage! Steele urged. The knight stood protectively over Palin, shielding him with his body and drawn sword. I have it. Palin gasped in relief. His hand closed over the smooth wood, and immediately the staff burst into light. Leaning on the staff, thankfully, he drew himself to his feet. And there before them was the Tower of High Sorcery. A tall building constructed of magic and of black marble thrust up into the sky, which was dark around it. Not even the stars would come near the Tower of Palantas. Three moons shone on it. The marble walls glistened in Solinari's light, for though Solinari was a deity revered by the white robes, he, like his siblings, revered all magic. Lunitari's red beams shone on the blood-red spires atop the tower, above the spires, above the balcony known as the Death Walk. Floated Nuitari, the black moon, special guardian of this tower, visible only to the black robes. We've made it. Palin said, a catch in his throat. The longed-for moment had arrived. He almost broke into a run, but events had taught him caution. He waited for the night to precede him. Despite his fatigue, Steele moved forward rapidly. He, too, was relieved to see their journey's end before them. Together, walking now by the light of two moons, they approached the Iron Gates. There was no lock that they could see. It seemed the gates would open with a shove, yet neither pushed his hand out, neither wanted to touch that iron which was dripping with the strange, uncanny moisture of the Shoikan Grove. No one was around. No one was in sight. No lights shone from the windows. But that may have been only illusion. 
there might, probably were, any number of eyes watching them. Well, Monsieur, why do you wait? Steele motioned at the gate with his sword. This is your bailiwick. Go on. Palin couldn't very well argue the point. He walked forward, reached out to put his hand on the gate. The gate swung open. Palin's spirits lifted. He looked back at Steele with a certain amount of weary triumph. Now it was his turn to lead. Come ahead, he said. We've been invited to enter. Lucky us, Steele muttered, and did not lower his sword. He stepped through the gate and into a garden courtyard. It was a strange sort of garden. Here grew many herbs and flowers used for spell components. Cultivated and tended by the apprentice mages, most of these plants grew by night, thrived in the unseen light of Nuitari. Nightshade, the death lily, black orchids, black roses, rue, bittersweet, henbane, poppy, mandrake, wormwood, mistletoe. Their perfume hung, sweet, cloying, and heavy, in the still air. Don't pick or touch any of the plants, Palin warned as they walked the dank, gray cobblestone of the courtyard. Not a bouquet I would fancy, Steele said, though he did pause to make a slight bow of reverence for the lily that was the symbol of his order. Palin was just wondering how he would get inside the door. He had some vague memory that there was a bell when he saw them everywhere, all around him. Eyes, unblinking eyes, only eyes, no skulls, no necks, no arms or torsos or legs, eyes and hands, dreadful hands, hands of chill death. Steel was at Palin's back. What are those? The knight hissed in Palin's ear. The guardians of the tower. Palin warned, don't, don't let them near you. The eyes glided close. There must have been a hundred, shining, pale, and cold in Nuitari's light. How in the name of the abyss am I supposed to stop them? Steel crowded near Palin, guarding the mage's back as Palin guarded the knights. Do something, say something! I am Palin Majer. Palin called loudly. Give way! Majer! 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 The name echoed off the tower's stone walls, reverberated through the courtyard like the ringing of discordant bells, ended in mocking laughter. Palin shuddered. Steele's jaw tightened, the knight's face glistened with sweat. The eyes drew nearer, closing in, white, disembodied hands appeared out of the darkness. Skeletal fingers pointed at the fast-beating hearts of the two living beings, one touch, and their blood would freeze, the heartbeat cease. In the name of Kimosh, I command you to stand aside, Steele yelled suddenly. The eyes gleamed, but only with anger. I wouldn't mention that name again, Palin advised softly. Only one god is respected here. Then you do something, Sir Mage. 
Steele said harshly. I have come to see Dalamar, Palin explained desperately. I have come to visit your master. A lie, a lie, a lie. The words were like the rustle of unseen ragged robes, the creaking of bony fingers, the flicker in the white, chill eyes. The spectral guardians moved closer still, formed a circle around the mage and the knight. The two stood back to back, Palin with his staff raised, steel holding his sword. But the staff's crystal was dimming fast. Steel made a swipe at one of the specters with his blade. The sword whistled, sliced up nothing but the knight. The specters moved closer. Uncle, Palin cried, it is to you I come. Uncle, I need your help. The door to the tower opened. Darkness flowed from it. The specters halted their advance. The cold, pale eyes turned that direction. Palin trembled as fear, elation, awe swept over him. He leaned forward toward the darkness. Uncle? He cried. A voice answered. Don't move. Stay right where you are. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'll save you. Out of the darkness ran Tasselhoff Burfoot. Chapter 21 The Gate Opens Nuitare's Garden The Way is Prepared Uncle Tass! Palin gasped in astonishment. I take it this was not the uncle you had in mind, Steele said grimly. No! Palin was baffled. I never... I've got it right here! The elder Kender was puffing with the exertion of his run. He paused on the stairs leading to the tower door, waving something shiny in the air. Don't worry! Don't come any closer, Tass! Palin cried fearfully. Go back! Go back inside! No, no! Tass called back. You don't understand! I have it! You'll be safe now! And before Palin could say another word, the Kender dashed down the stairs and ran straight for the specters. The dim light of the staff flashed off the object in the Kender's hand. A silver spoon. Be gone, foul wraiths! Tass commanded using a deep, gruff, authoritative voice, such as he imagined a cleric might use. The gruffness proved too much for him to maintain, however. He ended up half-strangling himself. In between the hacks and splutters, he managed to repeat, Be gone, I say! Be gone! Go away! He waved the spoon at the specters. We're going to die, Steele said. No, said Palin, after a moment's astounded watching. No, we're not. Two by two, the chill eyes closed. The deathly white hands drew back into unseen sleeves. The courtyard was empty. The entrance to the tower stood open. The light of Palin's staff shone bright in Taz's eyes as he came bounding up to greet them. The Kender Spoon of Turning, Taz said proudly, holding it up for Palin's inspection. 
Palin was about to examine the spoon to see if it was in any way magical, but before he could do so, Tass stuffed the spoon into a convenient pouch and moved on to other matters. He held out his small hand to steal. How do you do? the kender said politely. I'm Tasselhoff Burfoot. My friends call me Tass, except for Palin. He added as an afterthought. He calls me Uncle Tass. I'm not really his uncle. Karim and I are not related. I'm a friend of the family. They used to call me Grandpa when they were littler than me. But that seemed a bit silly when they all got bigger, so after some discussion we changed it to Uncle. I had an Uncle Trapspringer once. He was the one with the spoon. My, that certainly is remarkable armor, so wonderfully evil-looking with those skulls and death lilies. I know, you must be a knight of Tarkaisis. I've heard about you, but I've never met one. This is a real privilege. Did I mention that my name is Tasselhoff Burfoot? I do not discourse with Kenda, Steele said. Even those who save your life, Palin asked softly. Steele regarded Tass grimly finally made a stiff bow. Steel Brightblade. I know you. Tannis told me about you. You're Sturm's son. Sturm and I were great friends. Tass flung himself forward for a hug. He was halted by Steel's hand on his head, holding the Kender at arm's length. It is probable, though not very likely, that I owe you my life, Kender, Steel said coldly. I am honor-bound to repay the debt, but I am not bound to allow you near my person. I advise you, therefore, to keep clear of me. With that, he shoved Tass backward. Palin caught hold of Tass, steadied him. I forgot, Tass said in a loud whisper, wincing and rubbing his head. He's Kityara's son, too. Palin was about to advise that it might be beneficial to Tass's health if he steered clear of the night when a woman's voice called out from inside the tower. Tasselhoff? Where are you? Tass, where did you go? Palin raised his gaze, looked toward the door. He breathed a soft sigh. The specters had nearly chilled his heart. Now he felt it catch fire. A woman like no other he had ever seen in his life stood in the doorway. Masses of silver hair framed a face that was alluring, kept its secrets, yet, by the wide, eager, golden eyes, seemed to require that others give to her all of their own mysteries. Her clothes, made of brightly colored flowing silk, were outlandish, like no well-bred woman in this part of the country would have worn— Yet they suited her. She was as exotic, as entrancing, as if she'd fallen from a star. Tass, she called, relief in her voice. She ran down the stairs. Thank the gods I've found you. Now we can get out of here. She halted, stared at Steele and Palin. Oh. She glanced sideways at Tass, sidled nearer the kender. Who are these two gentlemen? Friends of mine said Tass enthusiastically. This is Steel Brightblade. He's Sturm's son. Sturm was a knight of Salamnia and one of my very best friends. He's Kityara's son, too, but she wasn't a knight. She was a dragon high lord and not exactly a friend, more of an acquaintance. This is Usha. My lady, Palin said, staring at the woman, enthralled. But he was disappointed to see her gaze stray to the knight. 
She tried a tentative smile. Steele didn't even look at her. His eyes searched the tower windows for signs of danger. Usha gazed at him longer, studying the armor which she could now see clearly in the moonlight. Her smile disappeared, her eyes darkened. Her voice trembled in anger. They were like you, the ones who came. They treated us as if we were dirt beneath their feet. Why did you have to come to ruin our lives? She cried suddenly. What did we do to you? We were no threat. Now Steele turned his gaze on her, regarded her with interest. What city are you from, lady, Calaman? Has it in truth fallen to our might? Usha opened her mouth, started to answer, seemed to find the answering difficult. At length, she said, No, not Calaman. Near there. Her voice dwindled a moment, then came back strong. You had no right to invade our homeland. Whatever wrongs you imagine were done to you were done in the name of progress, my lady. Steele returned. You cannot be expected to understand, so I will not attempt to explain. His gaze shifted immediately back to the tower. He still held his sword in his hand. We have business here, monsieur, if you remember. I remember, Palin said, though just barely. Usha had turned those wonderful eyes on him. What is your name, sir? she asked, her cheeks flushing beneath his unabashedly admiring gaze. Palin Majer, he said softly, and yours, I, I didn't quite catch it. Usha, she replied archly. Usha Majer, cried Tass, hopping about in excitement. Isn't this great? Usha's Raceland's daughter. I found Raceland's daughter. No, Palin cried, stricken. What? Usha, frightened by his intensity, backed away from him a step. What's wrong? I... I am Raceland's nephew. Caramon Majer is my father and your uncle. We're cousins, Palin said miserably. First cousins. Is that all? Usha breathed again. We're first cousins. I don't mind, she said, and she smiled at him. Her smile glittered around Palin like cascading stardust. He was so dazzled he could scarcely see. Their fathers were twins, Tass said, by way of explanation. Now that we have the genealogy straightened out, Steele said acidly, might I remind you once again, Majere, that time draws short and we have important work to do inside the tower? Inside? Usha looked back fearfully at the tower, shifted her shadowed gaze to Palin. You're going inside? We just got outside, Tass informed them, adding proudly. Dalimar was holding us both prisoner. Palin was dubious. Why would Dalimar hold you prisoner? Does it matter? You came through the grove, Usha said, talking rapidly, not giving Tass a chance to respond. She took hold of Palin's hands, gazed into his eyes. The red robe inside said you must be an immensely powerful wizard to have done such a thing. She leaned close, whispered in his ear. You and the knight could take us back through the grove and we could get away from this terrible place. Her hand was smooth, soft. 
Her touch sent the stardust glittering through his blood. I can't leave, mistress, Palin said, still retaining her hand. I have something here I must do, and you shouldn't try to escape either, not through the Shoikan Grove, it's too dangerous. We barely survived. He turned to Tasselhoff. I don't understand. Why is Dalimar holding you prisoner? Because she's Raceland's daughter, of course, Tass answered, his tone matter-of-fact. Of course. Palin had guessed the answer even before he had asked the question. Dalimar would be very glad to get hold of the daughter of Raceland Magere, and then it occurred to Palin, with a pang, that perhaps she was the reason the voice had led him here. Perhaps his uncle merely needed a guide for the person in whom he was truly interested. His daughter. Palin withdrew his hand from her grasp. Jealousy gnawed at him, its poisoned teeth biting deep. He was attracted to this woman, jealous of her at the same time, and he understood, finally, the bittersweet relationship that had existed between his father and his father's twin. Usha felt his sudden coldness, more chill than the specter's. She stared at him in puzzled dismay, involuntarily drew away from him. You won't help us escape? That's fine. I will go through the grove myself, she said haughtily. No, Usha. I'm afraid not, said Palin, his voice raw-edged. There's a reason why you're here. Why? Did Raceland send for her? Tass wondered cheerfully. I thought Raceland was dead. Do you think he's dead, Palin? You don't, do you? That's why you're here. The Kender was wildly excited. Majer? Steele began impatiently. I know, I know. Come on. Palin took hold of Usha's arm, started to lead her inside the tower. We're going to have a talk with Dalimar. He isn't here, Usha said, breaking away from Palin's grasp. He's gone to some wizard's something in somewhere. The Tower of High Sorcery at Weyrith, Tass filled in. A conclave. I was at one once. Did I ever tell you about the time Parsalian turned me into a mouse? Well, I suppose I was the one who turned myself into a mouse, but... Dalamar's gone. Palin murmured. I will deal with Dalamar. His uncle had promised. It might all be coincidence, but Palin doubted it. Raceland was actively working to aid him, but for what purpose, to what end? We'd better hurry, then, before Dalimar gets back. Palin started toward the tower door. A red-robed mage stood inside, blocking entry. What are you two doing here? How did you get through the Shoikan Grove and past the Guardians? Where are the Guardians? Palin opened his mouth. He wasn't much good at lying, but in this instance the truth would hardly do. He was about to speak when Tasselhoff interrupted. They have been summoned by Dalamar, Tass announced importantly. As for the guardians, I sent them away with the Kender Spoon of Turning. He exhibited the spoon for inspection. The mage stared at it, stared at Palin and Steele, stared around the empty courtyard. He looked confused and suspicious. Lord Dalimar sent for you, he repeated. A white robe and a dark knight? 
makes for a nice balance, don't you think? Tass said, adding, "And how else could they have come through the grove unless Dalimar gave them charms to help them? Now, if you'll excuse us, we have to go upstairs to Dalimar's chambers." Tass looked back around at Palin. "That's where you want to go, isn't it?" he asked in a loud whisper. The red robe frowned. Steel glowered. He had sheathed his sword, but his hand rested on the hilt. "I am Steel Brightblade, Knight of Tarkisus." I have come on a mission. Lord Dalimar did not expect us this early. Tass chimed in loudly and shrilly. Tell Cousin Steele to keep quiet and let me handle this. He whispered again to Palin, who hoped devoutly that Steele hadn't heard this new appellation. Tass started moving toward the door, waving his hand behind his back. He motioned for the others to follow. We'll just wait for Dalimar in his room. We'd like some tar bean tea, if it wouldn't be too much trouble. Come on, Usha. Steele followed the kender. Palin was about to, but he noticed that Usha held back. She twisted her hands together nervously, looked up at the tower in dread. I just got out of there, she protested. I don't want to go back. The red robe was now deeply suspicious. You said you were going to study magic with us, mistress. Apprentice yourself to Lord Dalimar. What's going on here? I, I haven't made up my mind yet. Usha replied, "I need to go somewhere and think it over. Somewhere else. As for studying magic, perhaps I don't need to study. Not any more. I'm quite powerful enough as I am." Usha, Palin began. Steele caught hold of him. Let her go. The knight said, "We're wasting time." Angrily, Palin shook himself loose. No matter how powerful she is in magic, she'll die if she walks into that grove. Besides, he added in a low voice, "It is possible that we're here because of her." What? Why? Steele glanced at the woman without interest. Because if she is Raceland's daughter, he may be attempting to reach her. Steele gazed at Palin intently. It may be the daughter Raceland wants, not the nephew. Steele shrugged. He may open the portal for her. Perhaps you are right. It doesn't matter to me as long as the portal opens. Bring her along. Palin walked slowly back to Usha. You can't leave, Mistress, he said. I ask you to stay with me. Trust me. We'll figure something out. She looked up at him with her golden eyes. Her gaze was cold, but he saw now that he was closer that the frost was a covering for fear. She looked as terrified as a lost child. "I'll come with you," she said softly. "But you must stay with me." She was warm, her skin soft, her silver hair brushing his face sent tingles of desire through his body. He had never felt this wonderful. Or been in such turmoil in his entire life. Stay with her. He had to enter the abyss. The red robe, having thought matters over, apparently decided that the kender was right. The best place for this odd group was locked up safely in his lord's chambers. I'll accompany you up the stairs to Lord Dalimar's room. The red robe announced, "We'll wait for my lord together." 
This wouldn't do at all, as Steele reminded Palin with a grim look. They had to find the portal to the abyss and had better find it while Dalimar was gone. Thank you, but that won't be necessary, Tass said politely. We know the way. And besides, Palin's been here before. He's a close personal friend of Dalimar's. The red robe raised his eyebrows in disbelief. Don't you recognize him? Tasselhoff exclaimed. He's Palin Majer, Raceland Majer's nephew. Usha is Raceland's daughter, and this, the Kender waved his hand at Steel Brightblade, is Raceland Majer's half-nephew. I think that's right. The Kender's brow furrowed in thought. Let's see, Kityara was Raceland's half-sister. Perhaps that would make Steel only a quarter of a nephew. It's a family reunion, Steel said, and... Shoving the red robe into the wall, the knight strode past him and into the tower. The red robe did not follow them to Dalimar's rooms. He did, however, make certain that several of the spectral guardians went along. The pale, unblinking eyes kept watch on them until they were safely inside Dalimar's chambers and had shut the door. But they'll be waiting for us, Palin predicted not to mention the one that guards the laboratory. That spectre has orders from Dalimar not to admit anyone, not even Dalimar himself. The laboratory has never been opened. Not since my uncle. Palin paused, didn't finish his sentence. What he'd stated wasn't quite true. The laboratory door had been once opened. The staff of Magius had been inside, and now he held the staff in his hand. Oh, you don't need to worry about the specter, Tass said confidently. We have the kender spoon of turning, I know. Palin sighed. He was in no mood for kender nonsense. Look, Uncle Tass, I saw the crest on the spoon. It's just an ordinary tablespoon. Movement caught his eye. He looked up. A black-robed mage stood in the room. Not unusual for the Tower of High Sorcery, except that this mage had white hair, golden skin, hourglass eyes. Palin's tongue cleaved to the roof of his mouth. He started to speak. Uncle? Raceland made a swift, negating sign with his hand. His golden hourglass eyes rested briefly on the kender, and then the apparition vanished. Yes? Tass looked up from admiring the spoon. You were saying something about the spoon being ordinary? Palin looked swiftly about. Had anyone else seen the vision? Apparently not. Steele was searching the room, testing the walls, looking under tapestries, trying to find another way out. Usha, half asleep, was curled up disconsolately in a chair. Tasselhoff was fondly patting his spoon. This spoon is not ordinary, the kender continued. It's a holy relic, given to my uncle Trapspringer by Mishikal herself. Or was it Reorks? I forget. Anyway, it works. You saw it work. No one else had seen Raceland. He had come to Palin. No one else. Weariness, pain, disappointment fell from him like a discarded cloak. He would get into the laboratory. The way was prepared, as had once been said of Raceland Majer, 
For him the door would open. Here, let me see it again. Palin took the spoon from Tass, studied it. The spoon matched exactly the other spoons on the table. You're right, Tass, Palin said softly. It is a holy artifact. Most holy indeed. Chapter 22 Suspicions Introspection Raceland's Laboratory They left Dalimar's chamber. Tass led the way to the laboratory, the silver spoon held boldly before him. Steele was not pleased with the Kender as a companion, but Palin, to Steele's amazement and ire, did not try to dissuade him. Only a Kender can use the magic Kender spoon of tuning, Palin said with a half-smile. You and I both know the spoon is not magic, Steele retorted. You saw it turn the specter, Palin replied. Did I? Steele demanded. Or is that what you want me to think I saw? Palin avoided the question. We'll take the Kender along, keep an eye on him. Or would you rather have him traipsing after us on his own? Never turn your back on a Kender, or so the dwarves say. Do they? Steele said coldly. I heard it was never turn your back on a mage. The disembodied eyes flickered, flared, and disappeared. A tablespoon in a Kender's hand could not turn such wraiths, Steele knew it. And he knew Palin knew it. Palin seemed suddenly eager to reach their destination. His doubts, his fears had been laid to rest. He was relaxed, confident. Something had happened. He'd seen something, had received some sign. But Steele had no idea what. Was the young mage far more powerful than he'd led Steele to believe? Was this strange woman with the golden eyes part of a plot? Were they leading the knight into a trap? Never one to trust magic users, Steele determined to watch Palin and the woman closely. They climbed the shadowy stairs, round and round in a leg-aching spiral, hugging the wall to keep from tumbling over the edge into the darkness below. No one approached them. No one interfered with them. No one stopped them. The tower might have been deserted except for them. The infamous laboratory of the Tower of High Sorcery was near the top of the tower. The only remaining portal to the abyss was inside that laboratory. Perhaps. Tell me about this portal, Majer, Steele said as they were wending their way upward. Palin appeared extremely reluctant to talk. I know very little, he began. I know a lot. The Kender spoke up eagerly. Steele ignored him. You're a mage, aren't you, Majer? I suppose they must teach you these things in mage school or whatever you study. I know the history, he answered evasively. I do too, Tasselhoff chimed in. I was there for a lot of it. I was with Caraman and Raceland when Raceland wasn't Raceland. He was Fistandantilus, and he entered the portal and tried to fight the Dark Queen, except he failed. Would you like to hear that story? No said Steele. I want to hear about the portal. 
since we're both going to be entering it, he added pointedly, watching Palin intently. The staff of Magius shone bright on the young mage. Palin's face was deeply flushed, his eyes shining, exultant. Catching Steele's gaze on him, Palin took care to move the staff away, withdraw into the shadows. He is plotting something, Steele said to himself, and he redoubled his watch. Are we going back into the abyss? Tass asked, and the kender did not sound as excited as most kender would have at the prospect. I hope you know that the abyss is not a very nice place, horrible in fact. I'm not really sure I want to go with you. Good, Steele said, because you're not. Continue your tale, Magere. Just keep talking, Usha said. It's not as frightening when someone's talking. Palin said nothing, however. They continued to climb until they came to a broad landing, out of breath, muscles aching. They halted of one accord. The door to the laboratory was still far above them, outlined in torchlight. They sat down on the landing, stretched out their legs, glad for the rest. The portal? Steele gave the mage a nudge. There's not really much to tell, Palin said with a careless shrug. Long ago, five portals existed, located in each of the five towers of high sorcery. Created by magic, the portals had been devised in order to provide the wizards with the ability to travel between towers, without the need for expending their energies on teleportation spells. Thinking to open doors only to each other, the wizards did not realize that they had accidentally created a route from this world to another plane of existence. Queen Tarkaisis knew this, however. Trapped in the abyss, she and her evil dragons had long sought entry into Kryn but were blocked by Paladin and his good dragons. Paladin had little control over magic users, however, who were known to go their own ways. Tarkaisis found a black-robed wizard who might be open to temptation— Assuming the form of a beautiful woman, Tarkaisis appeared to the wizard every night in his dreams, whispered seductive promises. He became obsessed with the lovely woman, vowed to find her and make her his own. I am a prisoner on another plane, in another time, Tarkaisis told the wizard. Only you, with your power, can free me. To do so, you must enter the portal. Keep my vision in your mind, and I will guide you. Palin halted abruptly at this point. His face, illuminated by the staff's light, had gone extremely pale. I will guide you. The words hung in the air. What happened to the wizard? Usha asked. I know, I know! Tass raised his hand. Palin, after clearing a huskiness from his throat, continued. The lust-filled wizard entered the portal the vision of Tarkaisis burning in his blood. What happened to him there no one knows, for he never returned. Once the portal was opened, Queen Tarkaisis and her legions of dragons swarmed into Kryn, and that, so legend has it, was the cause of the First Dragon War. The gallant knight of Salamnia, Huma, drove the Dark Queen back into the abyss. The wizards, deeply ashamed, tried to seal shut the portals. Unfortunately, the wizards who had created them had been lost in the Dragon War. 
and so had their knowledge and the power. The surviving wizards could not shut the portals. They could make it impossible to enter, or so they thought, and so they made it a condition that the only two people who could enter a portal would be a black-robed mage in company with a white-robed cleric. Such an unholy alliance would, they believed, be impossible to achieve, and so the portals were safe. In time, with the rise of Istar, when magic users were persecuted by the church, three of the towers of high sorcery were either lost or destroyed. Their portals were destroyed with them. The wizards who lived in the Tower of Palanthas agreed to abandon it, in return for the promise from the king-priest that they could continue to practice their magic in Weyrith. Before they left the tower, however, the wizards moved the portal to the fortress of Skullcap for safekeeping, fondly imagining that no one would find it there. I found it, Tass cried. Well, I sort of found it. I was with Caraman and Raceland, back in time, only I wasn't supposed to be, and Chrysania, who was a white-robed cleric, and Raceland entered the portal, and that's how Raceland got into the abyss. And Chrysania went with him, and the Dark Queen almost killed Chrysania, only she stayed alive, except that she was blind. And Caraman went in and brought her out, and Raceland realized that he'd made a terrible mistake, and that the Dark Queen was going to get into the world, and so he, uh, Raceland, I mean, sacrificed his life by staying in the abyss and keeping the portal sealed shut. Caraman believes that his brother was granted peace in eternal sleep for his sacrifice, which would mean that Raceland isn't in the abyss after all. Oh! Tass jumped up in excitement. Is that why we're going into the portal, Palin, to look for Raceland? In that case, I'll go with you. The Kender offered magnanimously. Raceland and I were great friends, until he killed Nimsh, the gnome. Tass grew more solemn. I've never really forgiven him for that. You're going in there to search for Raceland Majer? Usha asked. She did not look at Palin as she spoke, but played nervously with the hem of her tunic. We have yet to enter the laboratory, Palin pointed out. We're a long way from walking into the abyss in search of anyone. And none of us is a black-robed wizard or a white-robed cleric, Steele said. Which means, according to your story, Majer, that we have no chance of entering, that we never have had a chance of entering. He leapt to his feet, his hand on the hilt of his sword. You have known this all along. What sort of trick did you have in mind, or is there something you have omitted telling us? No trick, Palin said softly. I told you the truth, as far as I know it. He looked up at Steele. I have no idea how I'm going to get inside. Yes, you do. Or you would not have come this far. What is it? What do you know, Majer? Palin grasped the staff of Magius rose to his feet. I know that I gave you my word of honor, and I will not break it. The word of a wizard is slippery as an eel, Steele said, sneering. The word of a majeure is not, Palin answered with dignity. Shall we go on? They continued the climb, up and up the winding stairs, they were being watched, they knew, though they could not see the watchers. Every step brought memories to Palin, memories of his test, which had taken place in this tower. An illusion, according to Dalimar, had it been? 
It had seemed so real. But then the test always seemed real to the mages who took it, who risked their lives in order to possess the magic. Perhaps the test had been reality, the rest of Palin's life illusion. Closing his eyes, Palin leaned back against the chill wall of the tower and, for the first time in his life, gave himself up to the magic. He felt it burn in his blood, caress his skin. The words it whispered were no longer of doom, but of welcome, of invitation. His body trembled with the ecstasy of the magic. Palin recalled that moment of his test with a pang. He had not experienced the ecstasy in a long, long time. He had never admitted it to anyone, not even to himself, until now. Magic had become drudgery, spells studied alone in the depths of the night, words recited over and over, taking care to achieve the proper inflection, the correct pronunciation. Magical words tumbled about his head when he tried to sleep. Spell components tainted his dreams, the tingle in the blood when the spell was cast, the feeling of satisfaction when the magic did what it was supposed to do. He experienced that, but it never outweighed the feeling of inadequacy, the helpless emptiness and terror that came when the spell did not work. And more and more often, the magic was not working. The words got all mixed up in his head, jumbled together. He couldn't remember whether he pronounced the first word with the accent on the last syllable or the last word with the accent on the first. He couldn't find the proper spell component, which had been in his pouch only moments before. When had the fear started to grow within him, not on his first adventure, traveling with his brothers, meeting the dwarf, Dugan Redhammer, and setting out to recapture the Grey Gem of Gargath? Then the magic had been intoxicating, the danger exhilarating. He'd returned to his studies, eagerly, though he had no master to teach him. No mage on Crin wanted the nephew of Raislin Majer for a pupil. Palin understood. He hadn't felt the need for a master at that point in his life. He would work alone, as his uncle had worked alone. At first, Palin had done well, only to have nothing to show for it. Months passed. He made little or no progress. Sometimes it seemed he regressed. He traveled to the Tower of Weyrith, to the Conclave, seeking counseling. Patience, Dalimar had intoned. Patience and discipline. Those who take the white robes achieve greater power ultimately than those who wear the red or the black. But you pay a price. You must walk before you can run. My uncle didn't walk. Palin felt the frustration burn inside him. He chafed at the repeated rote learning, at the interminable scroll-making, at the hours wasted grubbing in the dirt in his herb garden, and running beneath it all like refuse water, contaminating his life and his work, was the growing fear that he wasn't good enough, that he would never be anything more than a low-ranking mage, fit to practice his magic for children's name-day parties. To prove his own worth to himself was one reason he'd abandoned his studies and ridden with the knights. He had failed most miserably, and it was his brothers who had paid the price. Palin climbed the stairs one after the other, forcing his pain-filled legs to take another step and yet another. His mind was so entangled in the past that he was oblivious to the present. 
He was no longer cognizant of his whereabouts, didn't realize that they had reached their destination until the kender tugged on the mage's white robes. Dazedly, Palin stared at Tass, at first without recognition, then he blinked, came abruptly back. Yes? What is it? I think we're here, Tass said in a loud whisper, pointing. Is that it? Palin raised his staff. Light from the crystal banished the darkness. They stood on a large landing, directly below a wooden door with wrought iron hinges. A short flight of stairs led up to the door. I know this place. Palin answered as best he could. His throat and mouth were so dry, the talking was difficult. I took my test here. Yes. He paused, licked his lips with a dry tongue. This is the laboratory. No one spoke, not even Tass. They drew close, within the staff's circle of light. Outside the circle the darkness gibbered and whispered. Half-seen shadows flitted past, groped for them with wispy hands. If the staff's light should fail, they would be plunged into blinding darkness. Go on, Majer. Steel Brightblade's voice was rough-edged, jagged. Advance. Open the door. A vision of the past came to Palin. Two cold white eyes stared at him out of the darkness, eyes without a body, unless the darkness itself was their flesh and blood and bone. Stand aside, said Dalimar, and let us pass. That cannot be, Master of the Tower. Your command was to take this key and keep it for all eternity, give it to no one, not even myself, and from this moment on your place is to guard this door. No one is to enter. Let death be swift for those who try. We have to get by the Guardian, Palin said. What Guardian? Steele demanded impatiently. There is no Guardian. Palin stared. Darkness reigned. The only light that shone was the light of the staff of Magius, and before that light the darkness gave way. The spectre was nowhere to be seen. The whispers in the darkness were not threatening. Palin realized suddenly they were exulting. Could they be anticipating the return of the true master of the tower? This is all wrong, Palin whispered. No. Nephew, this is eminently right. Tears stung Palin's eyes. He trembled. The light of the staff wavered in his shaking hands. What am I doing here? He's using me. Well, of course the Guardian's gone, said Tasselhoff Burfoot in satisfaction. It heard about my spoon. Come on, Palin, I'll lead the way. Tucking the spoon inside his pocket, the kender dashed up the stairs. Tass, stop! Don't go in there! Such words, unfortunately, are not in the kender vocabulary. Palin watched, fearfully, more than half expecting to see the guardian appear. The kender dropped dead on the staircase. Nothing happened. Tasselhoff reached the laboratory door safely. He rattled the handle, peered at the lock, gave the door a shove. The door swung silently open.
chill air flowed out, heavy with must and mildew and other more unpleasant odors. Usha gagged and covered her mouth and nose with her scarf. Steel grimaced and drew his sword. It smells of death, he said. Tasselhoff hovered on the stoop, staring inside. Wow, they heard him say. And then the kender, with a hop, leapt over the stoop and vanished into the darkness. Palin envisioned the jars of spell components, the magical artifacts, the spell books, the scrolls, all in easy reach of any kender's deft fingers. Here was danger far greater than any spectral guardian ever given unholy life. Tass! Palin shoved past steel. Gathering up his robes, the mage raced up the stairs. Tass, come out of there! Don't touch anything! He stood in the doorway, suddenly fearful, reluctant to enter. This was all wrong, all wrong. Palin shone the staff's light inside. Tasselhoff had advanced to the middle of the room, was standing in front of an enormous table, staring at the objects on it, in wide-eyed wonder. Tass! Palin scolded, cross with relief. Come out of there! He could hear, behind him, steel mounting the staircase. The staff's light went out. Darkness engulfed them, roiled around them, crashed over them, drowned them. Steel cursed. Usha gave a frightful cry. Don't anyone move! Palin warned, having terrible visions of them all falling off the spiral staircase, plummeting to the stone floor far, far below. Shirak! The command failed. Either that or the staff refused to obey. The darkness grew deeper, stronger. What is going on, Monsieur? Steel demanded. Light the damn staff! I'm trying, Palin said, frustrated and angry with himself. Again, the magic had failed him. Armor scraped against stone. Booted feet came down heavily on the stairs. Steel was trying to find him. Palin! Usha called out fearfully. I'm coming up to you. Don't move. Usha, be careful. Palin half-turned to try to go back, to try to reach her. Palin! Tassie's voice echoed shrilly. I've got hold of something. Maybe this will help. Tass, no! Palin cried, turning back. A crash came, the ominous sound of breaking glass. Groping forward, tapping with the staff like a blind beggar in the market, Palin edged his way into the pitch-dark laboratory. Steel was right behind him. The night stood poised on the threshold. Then he stopped. He did not enter. The door slammed shut. Chapter 23 Dalimar Returns A Message Usha's Magic Monsieur! Steel Brightblade threw himself at the closed door in an attempt to break it down. Damn you, Monsieur! Open the door! Palin! Usha was beside him, pounding on the door with her fists. The knight heard faint cries and thumping from the other side of the door. It might have been Palin attempting to open the door, 
or it might have been the mage sealing it shut. Steele assumed it was the latter. Go back to the landing, he ordered the woman. What are you going to do? Try to break down the door. I thought I felt it give a moment before. Go on, you're in my way. But it's so dark. Usha protested, her voice shaking. I can't see. What if... what if I fall? Steele didn't give a damn whether she fell or not, but he curbed his impatience. Feel your way down. Stay close to the wall. You'll know when you reach the landing. Once you get there, don't move. He heard her cautious footsteps, moving slowly down the stairs. Then he forgot about her, focused on the door. He would have to run up the stairs to reach it, which did not provide him with the correct leverage. The woman screamed, Knight, behind you! Steele turned, sword raised. Two pale eyes shone in the darkness. Leave, Sir Knight. The way is forbidden. You let the mage inside and the kenda, Steele retorted. I did not let them in. Then who did? The master of the tower. Lord Dalamar is returned. Then tell him to let me inside, Steele demanded. The eyes drifted closer. The deadly chill of the netherworld struck through to the marrow of the knight's bones. He gritted his teeth to keep them from clicking together, gripped his sword more tightly. I do not refer to Dalamar, said the spectre. Leave this place now, Sir Knight, or you will never leave it at all. Help! Usha cried. Someone please help us! Her voice echoed eerily through the darkness, circling round and round the tower's inner walls, falling like a stone dropped in a well. The sound was so strange and terrifying that she didn't repeat her call. Help could come or not as it chose. Steele's prisoner was on the other side of the door. Steele's duty lay on the other side of that door. He had failed once. He had hesitated on the threshold instead of entering. This realm of wizards was unsettling, unnerving. The very air was clogged and fouled with sorcery. The darkness, alive with unquiet spirits. He longed for an enemy he could see, feel. He longed to breathe fresh air, hear the clean clash of sword against sword. He longed to leave this mage's keep, but he could not abandon his duty, not even in death. He struck at the spectre. His sword whistled in the air, clanged against the stone wall with a shower of sparks. The pale, gleaming eyes grew enormous, swelled and bulged, Hands reached out, their cruel touch lethal. Steele slashed at it again. Tarkaisis, he shouted, be with me. Your prayers are in vain, Sir Knight, said a voice. Our queen has no jurisdiction here. A globe of warm yellow light held in the hands of a red-robed wizardess drove the darkness back. Beside her, standing on the landing, was a sorcerer, an elf wearing black robes. At first, amazed, Steele then realized that the man must be a dark elf, one who had turned against the light, gone against the precepts of his people. This must be Dalamar the Dark, master of the Tower of High Sorcery. Or was he merely subletting it? Dalamar looked upward to the knight, standing at bay on the stairs.
I heard intruders had broken in, that a knight and a white-robed mage had passed safely through the Shoikan Grove. I could not believe it at first. Now I understand, a knight of Tarkaisis. But where is the white robe who accompanied you? Where is Palin Majer? In there, Usha answered, pointing at the laboratory. He went into that, that room. The kender went with him, and then the door slammed shut, and we haven't been able— Her voice sank. Dalimar's face was livid. The infuriated sorcerer turned to the guardian, who continued to hover near. You failed in your duty. I gave you orders to allow no one to enter. Your orders were countermanded, my lord Dalimar. The hollow voice returned, by the true master of the tower. Dalimar did not reply. His face was set and cold, colder than if the chill hands of the undead had touched him. Steel felt the power of the dark elf, felt the heat of his rage. The knight would not have been surprised to see the tower walls start to melt from it. Usha shrank away, hugging the stone wall. Even the elf's companion, the wizardess, took an involuntary step backward. Steel held his ground only because he could not in honor do anything else. And then Dalimar relaxed. The flame in the burning eyes died, their gaze abstracted. He had turned inward, was communing with himself. Perhaps this is for the best after all. He may know something. Dalimar's mouth twisted in an ironic smile. This is out of our hands, apparently, Jenna, for the moment at least. So it would seem. The wizardess agreed her gaze going to the sealed door, to the knight standing before it, and the woman crouched against the wall. What will you do with these two? Dalimar's gaze returned to the knight, and the dark elf seemed to see him for the first time. Are you by chance, Steel Brightblade? Steel concealed his astonishment, reminded himself that he was in the presence of a powerful sorcerer. I am, he said proudly. Kityara's son, Dalimar exclaimed. I should have seen the resemblance. I knew your mother, he added wryly. You murdered my mother. Steele returned in dire tones. Which, of course, you consider a debt of honor, one that must be repaid with my blood. Dalimar shrugged. Very well. You challenge me, I accept. You attack me, I kill you. A waste of a good soldier. Tarkaisis would not be pleased with either of us. I slew your mother in battle, Steel Brightblade. It was self-defense. She struck first. I can show you that scar. Unfortunately, I cannot show you the other scars she left on me. The last words were spoken low. Steel could not be certain he heard them and chose to ignore them anyway. He was consulting the vision, as did all the knights of Tarkaisis when faced with a dilemma. Was it her will that he fight this dark elf, and very probably lose his life in the attempt? Was it her will that he make a futile stand at this laboratory door, or did she have other plans for him? He looked into the vision. An image of his mother entered his mind. She bore her sword, carried it unsheathed, in her hand as if she would use it herself. 
But behind his mother he saw another figure, a five-headed dragon. His mother stood in the dragon's shadow. It was still confusing. Sir Knight! Dalimar was calling to him, had been calling to him for some time now, apparently trying to regain Steele's attention. What did you say, my lord? Steele asked, frowning, still attempting to read his Dark Queen's will. I said that someone has been attempting to contact you. Dalimar repeated patiently. Your commander, I believe. How is that possible, my lord? Steele was suspicious. No one knows I am here. What does he say? I have no idea, Dalimar said, with a touch of irritation. I am not a messenger boy. As for how he knew you were here, I presume someone told him. Possibly the same someone who guided you safely through the Shorkan Grove. If you will abandon your post, Brightblade, I will take you to where you may commune with your officer, I assure you. Dalimar added, Your quest here is futile. Not even I could enter that laboratory. The uncle has sent for his nephew. We must leave it to the two of them. Palin Majer was my prisoner, Steele said, still hesitating. I accepted his parole. Ah, said Dalimar, instantly understanding. Then you do indeed have a difficult decision to make. Steele took only a moment to make it. His commander knew he was here. It must be Tarkaisis's will that her knight turn his footsteps in a different direction. It must also be her will that he remain alive. Steele sheathed his sword, descended the stairs. Immediately the two pale eyes resumed their place, guarding the door. I will take you to the pool of seeing, Dalimar said as the knight joined him on the landing. There you may communicate with your commander. We will travel the corridors of magic, much faster and far less strenuous than these stairs. The dark elf laid his hand on Steele's arm. You may experience a dizzy sensation. What about me? Usha, who might have been a solid stone statue, came suddenly to life. What will you do with me? And what has happened to Palin? I want to go with him. Jenna, attend to her, Dalimar ordered. The wizardess nodded, smiled. Dalimar spoke words of magic. The darkness opened in front of Steele. He remembered wanting to flee, but the sorcerer propelled him forward. Then his feet touched solid ground. He stood at the edge of a pool, saw himself reflected in the still, dark water. Usha had gone along with the others, mainly because she didn't want to be left alone in the room, and also, she admitted to herself now, because she found the young mage... Very attractive. He was the first male she'd met who hadn't been stupid and boorish, like the thugs who'd attacked her, or cunning and frightening, like the wizard, or cold and cruel, like the dark knight. Palin was different. He reminded her in many ways of her protector. He was gentle, vulnerable. She sensed the fear in him, akin to her own. The shadow of some great grief, some secret sorrow hung over him, and yet he was strong, both in will and in courage. She called his face to mind and experienced a wrenching, twisting sensation in her heart that was uncomfortable, painful, exquisitely delightful. I want to go with Palin, Usha said. 
Go ahead. Jenna gestured at the laboratory door, at the disembodied eyes of the guardians. Usha had second thoughts. I want to leave, she stated. Everyone else is gone. You can't keep me here against my will. No, I can't, Jenna replied coolly. Such a powerful sorceress as you can go wherever she wanted. Usha wanted, more than anything else she had ever wanted in her life, to be far from this evil tower. She wanted to have nothing more to do with it or the people inside it, with the possible exception of Palin Majer. She glanced up at the door through which he'd vanished. The eyes of the spectre stared down at her. I will leave then, Usha said, and she opened her pouch. She stared in perplexity at the various objects inside. She knew that they were magic, but that was all she knew about them. She bitterly regretted that she had not paid more attention to the instructions. There were several rings, an amulet made of milk quartz, one of garnet, and another of obsidian, two scrolls tied up with purple ribbons, a small bag containing some sort of sweet-smelling herbs, a short length of rope, useless as far as she could tell, several tiny, carved animal figures, and a small glass vial. She shut her eyes, concentrated, tried to bring back the image and words of her people. The images came, comforting, warm, and forever lost. Tears burned in her eyes. She'd been so cold, so selfish. She longed to take back that moment, replace it with another in which she told them how grateful she was to them, how much she loved them, how much, how very much she would miss them. If you're ever in danger and you want to escape, use this. She could see the protector clearly, hear his counsel, feel him press an object into her hand. What object? Which? If you don't want to be trapped alone on the stairs in the dark, I suggest you come with me, Jenna advised, adding dryly, unless you are leaving us. I am leaving, Usha answered. It was either the obsidian amulet or the glass vial, one or the other. One had something to do with shadows, which wouldn't likely be of much help to her. This foul place already had more shadows than it knew what to do with. The other would take her out of danger. How? Usha couldn't recall, but anything was better than this. Obsidian was black, and so were shadows. Logic rejected the amulet, told her to try the vial. Usha had lived around magic all her life, but only magic that was used for good and practical purposes. She had never seen evil or harmful magic, until she had come to this dread tower. And so she wasn't particularly frightened about trying an unknown magic. Her protector had given it to her. She trusted him. Usha plucked the vial from her pouch, cracked open the wax seal that covered it. Jenna sprang at her, but it was too late. A thin sliver of whitish-yellow smoke rose from the vial. It smelled sweet, like newly mown grass, and banished the stench of death and decay that seemed to linger in the air. Usha held the vial to her nose. She inhaled the smoke. She became smoke.